the way that I look at it again, it's like we're looking at the best players in the world and using them as case studies. That's not how you do science. Like you're studying outliers and saying we should base everyone off of outliers. No, like study the median, study the middle of the curve and understand what the middle of the curve is doing. Welcome back. Thanks for joining us for another Par Train. I am your co-host, Evan Singer, Matt Cermak, as well as here with us. First of all, thanks for joining. We always appreciate you listening. The Par Train is all about making life and golf better. So we try and make life less frustrating than your golf game. We feature interviews from PGA Tour pros, best-selling authors, CEOs, and more. You'll learn to laugh through every up and down, harness the power of the mind, and get back on track both on and off the course. We had a great episode with uh, our guys over Urban Golf Performance, but we got to talk about our sponsor, Ev. What do you think? Yeah, so if you guys haven't bought a rowback shirt, a t-shirt, a Q-zip, a mask, you probably should, you know, get with the program. Every single person I know yeah, that has gotten one of these literally never goes back to any other shirt. They love it. I mean, you just played in a member guest. They were giving out Johnny O stuff. You're probably like, what do I need this for? You know? I like Johnny O, but... It's not, it's not, not rollback, rollback, you know? <laughs> Here's what we're going to do. We, we usually post promo codes that gets you 20% off. And what's happening is these codes are becoming so popular that they're getting picked up by coupon sites, coupon code sites. And then Gamers. we have to take it down and we have to create a new one. It's taken again. So here's what we're going to do for now until we get this figured out. Go into the link in this show description and there will be a link that has the discount 20% off baked into it. Click on that link. It'll drop you on the rollback homepage. And the discount will be then registered once you go through the purchase flow into your cart. So go get yourself a new summer polo. They just restocked with a lot of new colors or, or, or best-selling um, polos. And I'm telling you, if you're frustrated that th their stock isn't super high right now, I take that as a reason that you need to get on it because they're so popular, they can't stay in stock. So you got to buy it right now um, and get it before and it their, sells and out. And to their credit, they are, they're coming out with a lot of new styles too. Yeah. So, yeah, like you said, stock can be low at times, but they're pumping out new products. So get on it, guys. Yep. Roll so back. go to our Lock link down. in the show notes and uh, get yourself 20% off. Uh, you won't regret it. Let's talk about this episode. So Mac Todd is the founder and CEO of Urban Golf Performance. For those of you that don't know about it and aren't in Los Angeles, it's, it's only in Southern California right now. Um, but it sounds like they're going to be expanding. It's basically like golf heaven in regards to <laughs> well, if you well, love golf have you've been there so i've been a few times and you walk in no joke there's like mercedes bentley's in the driveway like some pretty well-off people are going here it's like a scene right you walk in amazing lobby Classic area LA. you can you can there's putting areas there's a million simulators They've got a workout and fitness area. They've got therapy for like chiropractic and massage. They've got mental coaching. They've got custom club building. I mean, literally every part of the game that you can imagine is at this place. And so Mac talks a lot about how he built it, how he came up with it, but not just the business story, right? I think, Matt, the main takeaway yep. here is depending on what you want, you can get a lot of different things out of this episode, right? Like, Matt, I think yep. you took a lot of things that you could apply to your game, right? Whether it's mental, whether it's physical. Talk about that for a second, then I'll talk about what I took away. Yeah, I mean, look, this, this are, everybody needs to go check out their website and their videos. It's just like, as I've said, kind of a, kind of a golf paradise. But, you know, Urban most of us aren't going to be able to... UrbanGolfPerformance.com. Most of us aren't going to be able to go there, though. But if you think about how they approach golf, right? It's a holistic approach. They put it into buckets, right? You've got your swing, you know, you've got your fitness, You've got your injury prevention. You've got your mental coaching. You've got, um, you know, getting fitted up for the right equipment because that's as important as ever, especially at this time, you know, in golf. So if you can, you, you got to focus 100% on all those areas. So I think the takeaway is there for like those who can't go to urban golf is, you know, watch what these guys are doing and how to get better in those areas and kind of apply that to your game. You need to be thinking about injury prevention. You should be, you know, maybe you that's the one area that you, you can go focus and spend a little money on. Go get assessed from a, a golf trainer, right? Because you need to know that hopefully you're not putting yourself at risk when you're playing based on your swing. 
So I just think this is, you know, this is the modern, you know, you know it's a high-end place, like you said, Ed, you pay for when you go in there. But this is the modern approach to all your areas to become yeah. a better golfer. So it probably will make you think differently about how you approach your game. But for me, it, I, I love the, the, the breadth of options and takeaways here. Because for me, I listen to this and I'm like, wow, Mac is just such an inspiring story, right? Started out as an incredible yeah. player, played in college, never felt like he was really finding his place. But then he was so deliberate, right? He took a risk that you guys will hear about, had 50 grand and turn it into a hundred grand in a month. And then he was kind of on his way. But I think what's interesting though, is he took a step back and he said, what do I really do well? Right. And he kind of lists out all the things he did well within golf. And then he looked and he Mm -hmm. said, Oh wow, there's not really anything that's like this, you know, very custom personalized concierge, you know, catered to golf. And he built UGP. And I think it's, inspiring. I think it'll help you in your career. I think it could help you in your personal life. I think it could help you on the golf course. And so I'll stop there. Yeah. Last thing I'll say, there's just a lot of good business advice in, you know, that he, in you can, whatever industry you work in or whatever profession that he really dives into. And, you know, it it shows in the the product. So no, really great episode. Awesome. Well, let's get to it. Before we do, real quick, if you guys aren't following us on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, at The Par Train, you got to get over there because we got giveaways going on. We've got a lot of fun content. We want to engage with you there and get you on the show, right? We're doing more mental game uh, stuff where we want to hear your stories and integrate those in the show. And then um, we know a lot of you have been listening you know, to us for the last three to four years. We appreciate that. But yeah, it's um, been a great run. Get and throw a review, right? Give us a review. It actually really helps. So give us yep. a subscribe and a review on iTunes. Um, send it to us. We might be able to see what we can do as a thank you. But reviews, um, reviews, jokes, all that stuff, right? Just send it in reach there. Out. We, yeah. we, lo- we love hearing from you guys. All right. Well, thanks again for listening, guys. Stay well, hit them straight. Have fun even if you don't hit it straight. And uh, we'll see you guys next week. (laughs) See you guys. True or false? If golf shops with simulators served booze, bars would have went out of business a long time ago. False. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, I'm not... I'm not a huge fan of the, you know, actually of the golf simulator bar concept. You know, I'm not a big fan of Top Golf either. Um, Yeah. I think when it's all you ha- it's all you have, you're in really cold place and you can't get outside to play. Then yep. and you're golf nut and you can't travel to go play. Then yeah, I mean they serve their purpose. Um, but yeah, I mean I, it's like that's not gonna. Not as many ladies are going to those sorts of bars. So you know, people love their dive bars that too, right? That's fair. <laughs> so that's right. That's right. What do you have against uh, Top Golf? Let's let's talk about that. You know, I, I, I experienced Top Golf probably, you know, about maybe first time, probably 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, back when it was like maybe a few locations. And so I was in Dallas and my friend was like, there's this cool range and it was, uh, you know, it, it tracks the ball and whatnot. And so we went over to it. And that was before it blew up. And um, it blew up once they started focusing more on food and beverage and less on the technology and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, I, I just. I found it to be a novelty at a, at a certain point. It's like, as a better player, you hit on it and you're like, it's hard to get into it. And you really are there. Inter- I end up entertaining all the beginners and teaching and like hanging out and showing them how to do it. And like, I end up like being a waiter, getting them drinks. <laughs> and so it's like, I, you know, it's actually more for the novice and beginner, I'd say. And if you're more of an expert player, it's like the guys that are starting to get into their grind at top golf while everyone's having a drink and stuff, they look ridiculous. So for me, it's like, it's more just like, it's entertainment it's fun it's like if you were a really good bowler and you went bowling with all your friends you know yeah it's a new bowling so when i went to ugp the first time i was like this is golf heaven right a lot of people that haven't been to ugp a lot of times feel that way when they go into a golf shop right they can Mm -hmm. hit on the simulators you can roll putts on the greens and even you have no intention to buy anything you just genuinely have a great time going in checking things out and leaving right right um how much is golf heaven about UGP when you were creating the idea versus all about performance and helping you get better? Yeah, I mean, it really, 
it really started so much in terms of you know creating an environment i think i was more inspired by like restaurants and like high-end gyms high-end physical therapy offices so i wasn't really ever intrigued by the golf the golf shop sort of grossed me out a little bit like i was yeah. like man this is like ranky and then like people were hitting balls and grabbing clothes and I just never really, you know, again, I sound like such an elitist, everything I'm saying, but it's just really in a lot of ways, <laughs> I'm just true. like, yeah, I just like, I found it kind of a little bit gross and, and, and at the same time, like not very custom. And then you have these like a bunch of high school kids walking around or, you know, nice, beautiful sets on the wall and, you know, whatever. But for the most part, I was intrigued by like the personal concierge service of like high end experiences. You know, I really was like, man, how come, how come there's all these great restaurants and bars and like, you know, and, and cool high-end medical concepts, but in golf that has such an amazing affluent base of customers, they're like slapping their bags and their clubs into Roger Dunn or whatever, you know, and there's no option for them if they want like a high-end experience that they're catered to like as they would be if they're at the Four Seasons. And so for me, I was just like, how can I create that Four Seasons environment in golf performance and in golf and in, in your golf accessory experience? Like how do I, you know, bypass the golf store? How do I bypass the golf store? and the pro shop and the teaching range and like build competent golfers that can have the stuff that they need in the community that they need so they can do what they really want to do, which is be out on the course, um, you know, and, and playing and competing and ex experiencing the game with their friends. And that, that has no end. So um, yeah, really in a lot of ways, I was just, I was more inspired by the other things that were out there that weren't in golf. And I was like, let's take a lot of these things. I did that with company culture too. I didn't study golf companies to build my company culture. I studied Facebook. I studied Google. I was like, how do you build a young and, you know, innovative experience in, in the workplace too in golf, which also that doesn't exist either. So for me, it was less about studying what was in the game and what was currently available and looking outside the game and bringing that in. Mac, it's great to have you. It's great to have you on the show. I saw that you actually had Michael Barkin on your, one of your most recent podcasts being a, he's a, I'm a Chicago guy. He, you know, yeah. he co-founded Trunk Club. And when you taught in Trunk Club, for those who don't know, um, which was acquired by Nordstrom, it was personal styling, um, you know, one of the original companies of, you know, you come in, you have a drink, you have a high-end personal experience, you get fitted up for your clothes, you get your clothes sent to your door. And I just find that fascinating. You talk about how you study, you know, who did that well, right? And then how to take that. And it gets into personalization. So, you know, with that said, seems like UGP really caters to the individual that comes in, you know, some, some there's philosophies where everybody's got their one system, but talk a little bit more about how you guys, you know, assess that individual that comes in to really help them. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of interesting. Uh, Barkin's a, a good friend. He's a, a great guy and really good businessman. And, um, you know, he's over, I think at Conway. Um, yeah. Yeah. So he's, he's awesome and he's super fun to play with and a good player. Uh, but yeah, as far as like, you know, individualization, it, it really gets deep. I mean, I, I, sometimes I feel like I'm a crazy person when I'm onboarding a new employee and I'm explaining it because I'm like, you need to understand like how many divorces they had. Like you need to understand like who they are truly, like, do they like leave the seat up in the bathroom kind of thing? Like it gets pretty deep in understanding like the people coming through the door and like, what does that have to do with swing speed? What does that have to do with angle of attack? What does that have to do with hip mobility? It's like you're not going to be able to work on any of those things with these people if you don't understand them and build relationships with them. So I actually had a talk about it the other day because um, we're sort of like professional light, like this new modern way of being professional. Like we're not we're, it's kind of country club meets gym where, you know, you'll grab sure. someone's bag out of the car and you're like, hey, welcome to UGP. And then you'll be like, hey, man, your fly is down. Like you might needle them a little bit and like, hey, you're right. looking good. Like you lost some weight or oh, whoa, you look a little hungover. Like we'll talk to our customers like that, that are paying, you know, $3 a minute. And we're like, Hey dude, like you need to clean your shit up and uh, <laughs> get your life together, you know? Right. And, uh, or, or we'll reinforce them positively if, if need be. So really have to like, kind of, uh, you know, I, I describe it in a lot of ways where, we, you know, the relationship needs to start personal. Uh, this is, I think it's something really good for any business actually. And this is something I just came up with the other day talking to one of my employees and it was like, I'm sure it's been written before, but, you know, you got to start personal and really get to know the individual. And then, and then the relationship over time needs to get more and more and more professional. Um, I think a lot of times what happens is the opposite in business. People start off a relationship extremely professional. Oh, sir. Can, and then if the employee is not incentivized or they're not bought in or whatever, that relationship will then get more and more personal over time, which will hurt the organization, hurt the individual who's purchasing 
and everything else in between. So I always tell my staff, I'm like, get really close and then learn to become professional over time with them. And, and that's our, that's management for us and, and training that, that needs to have that process happen properly. Right. And oftentimes in just standard business in our world, it's tips and cash, right? Is how relationships grow or get tighter or for better service. But you guys really bypass that and finding that blend, right? Yeah. And it's, it's because again, it's like understanding their lives. You're not going to be able to work on their swing concepts or on their body. If they don't like coming to see you, I don't feel like it's actually working. I can't tell you how many times I've seen coaches of mine and I've seen thousands and thousands of sessions on these last eight years that I'm not performing that I'm responsible for. So a lot of data now to, to, to have gathered to, to watch how this process works. And it's really that, you know, it's like you, you know, you can't truly, unless you have that relationship built into place, you really can't, um, you know, build a schedule around their stuff. You can't actually like have something that reinforces their improvement. It's really just a lot of times like, and that's what I see that most pros fail in there. They're looking for, hey, let me sell you and then let me get this over with. And I think that right. the customer reads right through that. And so yeah. if you can say like, hey, like we're going to help you build a better life and a better game and you're not lying about it, you're actually truly meaning it, um, then you have to meet that tall order. And uh, that goes into how you're, you know, again, as an organization, it's very difficult. As an individual, when it was just me, I found it to be very manageable with about 100 clients. Beyond 100 clients, then I was like not returning people's calls and whatnot. And, um, and so that's a common, you know, really good golf pro thing. And then once I went beyond that to say, all right, I need to have more people doing this. And now it became like, oh my God, how do I, you know, what, when do clicks form when you have too many employees? Like, you know, all these different things mm. to be able to provide a singular customer experience across a bunch of different personalities. Um, yeah. And so that, that's been kind of the journey for me these last probably four or five years in this eight year journey. Sure. So I want to talk about, you've got, you guys have so many clients, you've seen all types of golfers, all types of individuals that come through every day to UGP. If we're going to simplify this, you know, you guys focus, it's a holistic approach. You focus on the swing, you focus on physical fitness, recovery, um, you know, equipment, um, the mental game. And if I'm leaving anything out, I want you to dive into it. But what's for our average double digit handicapper that's listening to this, what's a common mistake or a common theme you see in each of the areas that, that you guys try to help your players with? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the common thing is they overestimate their ability. Um, they think they're better than they are. And uh, they do it as like a veil of, you know, insecurity. And I, I think that a lot of times what we can do at UGP is like, put them in this private, you know, safe environment and like they really say how they really feel and who they really yeah. think they are and what they really think they're capable of. And then we can put the That's work. That's interesting. You know, so it's like, right. it's like not, let's, just, it's, let's just cut to the chase here. Yeah, right? it's, like, it's funny. You're, you're not, like, oh, you're it's not really an 11, are you? <laughs> it's going to yeah. be a, it's going to be a sway or a reverse pivot or, you know, no, it's actually. How many like, putts are you giving him? between you know five and six feet right like yeah yeah and, and how many times are you dropping another ball and hitting it but no it's not it's not even as simple as that it's really just like you know the average male amateur golfer that's the 18 handicap hits it 200 yards you know 185 200 yards you know they don't hit it 250 like they think they do you know they their proximity to the hole from 100 yards is like you know 45 feet like and then they three putt so it's really like it's that stuff to understand and show them and be like hey look if you really want to get better it's, it's, um, you know, it's not going to be about your swing. It's going to be about you understanding the game. I just had a podcast with Chris Como last week and he's awesome. Oh, and, cool. you know, it's interesting listening to him talk. And he said, you know, you know, everyone thinks he's technical and they think Sean Foley's technical. When you get into that, they're like super philosophical and deep. And what he talks about when he's describing golf, he talks about risk assessment and the best players in the world are just really good at assessing risk, not just when they play, you think strategy over the water, whatever. No. in what they use their time for when they practice mm -hmm. so like if you're putting two hours in range work then something else is getting marginalized you know so right. really understanding like your structure of your day your structure of your practice your structure of around where to put the ball throughout the day you know how to handle a miss those are things that we really spend a lot of time at ugp so people think that oh man they got track man they got weights and all the guys rip it and you know it's like that's true but really you got to look at the founder and me i don't you know, I'm not one of the ripped guys at UGP. I'm not one of the guys. I'm like the founder. I'm like the psych, the brains behind it. So for me in the heart. So for me, I'm like, my job is to make sure the brains and the heart are being innervated throughout the entire experience because I know the technical side is going to be pretty good because I just hire a bunch of guys that love the body, love the swing, love the, and then I'm like, no, it's not about that. 
and then that's really when you can you know make a good product yeah it reminds me of um we've had chuck quentin on an instructor um that talks about efficiency and efficiency in the swing of making the least amount of movement right that you can and that almost applies to every part of the game to your point this was one of the aha moments i had when i went to ugp and i started working on a simulator a lot of players think let's say they hit their eight iron 150 right so it's 150 and they go oh eight iron right but actually when you start working on and seeing your distances, you'll see that actually 150 is the one out of 25 that you hit it perfect, right? And then they're not thinking of, oh, well, if it's 150, but the flag's 148 and it's in the front flag, maybe I actually should hit a soft seven, right? Um, and so it's all those little things that a lot of most average players don't think about. It's more of just a number club, number club. They're not thinking about specific situations. It's interesting. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it could be a wedge and a long putt too. You know, you could get a pitching wedge out to the left and putt it up and, you know, get on your way. Just an understanding where slopes are and things like that. I mean, I've played with a lot of guys that are like 80 years old. They're scratch golfers. And it is disgusting. You know, they're just like dinking down. They're so or good. boring golf. <laughs> yeah, and just like it's awesome to watch. But like when you watch guys like that play, they can't hit it over 200 and that can shoot even par. And that like are limping between shots and you're like, wow, that guy is a savage. He knows how to get around the golf course. He knows how to like bump it up there. And he understands what the game is all about, which is scoring and competing and, you know, enjoying your company. And I think a lot of times our, you know, our generation and, you know, just people, new golfers are like, they see what's on TV and they think that's what golf's about. And those guys are just the absolute, you know, you're seeing the best players in the world play the best, uh, you know, so those, that's yeah. just very not to compare yourself to. I think you compare yourself to those old men dinking it around, the game would be a lot better. Well, it, Mac, it's interesting to hear you talk about Chris Cuomo because I really love watching his stuff. And he had a great, I think it was a golf channel little segment with Brandel, Chambly, and uh, Lucas Wald. And they talk about kind of old school swings and uh, how the modern golf swing is just really injured a lot. Well, that mid-2000s, late-2000s, a lot of restricting the lower body has really damaged a lot of players. So I would love to get your thoughts on, you know, in terms of a swing philosophy or some things you guys do lean on mm -hmm. when you're teaching. Yeah. You're really good. Play all your players are good players. Your average players are not so good players. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's the same thing, right? They say restricting the lower body could hurt the lower back, but they also said that, you know, if you look in the eighties, what is every, what was everybody doing in the eighties? The reverse C finish. Why? Because yeah. of Jack Nicholas, you know, like right. oh, we're going to all copy Jack. Did it help them play better? No, it was a style, you know, but like trying to swing like Jack, trying to play like Jack, that's what helped them play better. It wasn't necessarily finishing the golf swing like Jack, but if that helps them get into the mindset of doing it, and whether it hurt their back or not, like Tom Watson kind of still has a reverse C finish, and he almost won the British Open at 65. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, whatever. I mean, <laughs> Phil's, so, got a, Phil's got a long upright swing, and he's still playing. Jason yeah. Day's had injuries at 30, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I Look, the way that I look at it, again, it's like we're looking at the best players in the world and using them as case studies. That's not how you do science. Like, you're studying outliers and saying we should base everyone off of outliers. No, like, study the median, study the middle of the mm -hmm. curve and understand what the middle of the curve's doing and what people on the bottom end of the outliers are doing as well. And I think that that's what kind of TPI, I think, brought really nicely to golf. You know, the sure. Titles Performance Institute with Greg Rose and, and Dave Phillips, they, they really helped say, hey, like, let's look at this scientifically and not sensationally. Um, and they really had an influence on, on UGP and kind of where it went. But yeah, so much of it is just like, and, and so to answer your question, though, in terms of swing philosophy, you know, we look for just the basic, the basic fundamentals, you know, and I think when you're dealing with the average golfer, I mean, we have Colin Morikawa as part of our, part of our roster, right? So we have, you know, top five player in the world. Yeah, we have that. the UCLA men's golf team. We've got like all these elite players that come to UGP, but the majority of our customers are the average golfer you're talking about. And what we're looking for is like, do you have, are you comfortable with your grip? I don't care if it's strong or if it's weak or do you like it? You know, I'll ask people that, like, do you like your grip? And they're like, no, I just want to know if it's right. There is no right. Do you like it or not? Like, do you, do you, do you go up to the ball and you're like, my grip is money. And if you don't, then let's Feels work good. on it. Yeah. Let's get, let's sure. get that. Let's get that right. And then, you know, do you like the way you set up to the ball? I don't, I don't even know what you mean. I'm like, well, do you like it? You know, and a better player is going to say, yeah, I close down this and that open this up and this and this, and this is why I do this. Yeah. You know, the average player doesn't know why they set up to the ball or why they grip right. it a certain way or why they take it short or long or whatever. So we try to build awareness and confidence. 
in whatever it is that you're doing. Yeah. And there's some stuff that like, yeah, that's not going to work. Like, Oh, Ooh, that like, Ooh, like look at the way he's swinging or the way he's popping out of it or the way he's early extending or the way he's falling back or the way he's swaying. Yeah. We'll get into that stuff. But at the end of the day, it's like, do you have the awareness and the confidence of what you're doing and can you repeat it? Yeah. It sounds like Mac, I was, I was thinking as you were talking about like the aha moments of a UGP visitor right? And a a member. And to me, everything I'm hearing is awareness. Like, is that, does that validate for you? Or what what do you hear from people? What, what's the most common aha moment where they come to you and they thank you? What do they thank you for the most? They thank me for hiring the people I hire. They thank me for, you know, they tell me a lot of times they'll come to me like, you got to give him stock options. And I'm like, dude, calm down. Like, you know how hard I've worked on that guy? Like, know that he was like, like he was like in the shits when I hired him. Like, you know, so it's like, you know, so I, you know, the, and, but I find it is an immense compliment, but at the same time, I'm like, if they only knew how much work goes into producing that for them. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of times they think I hire, it's a compliment. They think I hire them like that. You know, no, there's like, typically most of the people that we hire, like they, you know, they're, they're not the all Americans out of Clemson. You know, those kids wouldn't work hard for us. You know, they got egos on them. You know, they're not the all Americans out of, you know, Florida and Texas and, you know, USC. They're typically D2, D3, NAIA players. They are, they're gritty. They're blue collar families. And I show them how to provide a high end experience and they understand how to work hard and they love the game and they still have so much to learn about the game. So in a lot of ways, the kind of people that I hire, so answer your question yeah the aha moments are when people come and thank me it's for my people it's for the culture it's for the way they're treated there and it has nothing to do with golf performance like it's really just how they feel when they come to the place you know um and sometimes they thank me for the music playlist and sometimes i get berated for it so it just depends well mac you're gonna love this uh there are other co-hosts that couldn't make it strat he actually has come to ugp and gotten i think three or four sessions and i remember just asking him when first first one i go uh, can I come? <laughs> and so I literally just sat on the side and it's just like paradise for me. You know, it's just getting nitty gritty on the details of, Oh, he hits this, this, Oh, this is the angle here. And a lot of people get intimidated by that. Um, but it sounds like you guys make it so that it's approachable and, and you can understand it. Yeah. It's very inclusive, but at the same time, it's very private, which I think is a very hard balance to create. Like I, I think of like the Soho house, like, you know, that's what makes it so cool in these places like that. They're like, mm-hmm. you feel like you could find a nook to like hang out and talk to your friends and have privacy. Yeah. And you, you look around, it smells good. It feels good. And then you can dip from your friends, your little group, and all of a sudden you're in a scene and then you're back into your little private enclave. And so a lot of ways like UGP was created that way, the lighting, my wife's an architectural lighting designer. So we're like, how do we make the lighting that way? It's things that are just like not about the golf swing that makes UGP successful, right? And not about, you know, swing philosophy it's really about environment and culture yeah um and that's kind of what i pride myself on i always come in there and i'm like how does it feel in here and if it feels off actually yeah. I, have a, I really love um hillstone group they have like bandera and Gulfstream and those restaurants uh houston's and they're out of texas and they they'll close restaurants down that are profitable just because they don't like the way it feels and the way that sure. it like the, the traffic that's coming through they're like oh the vibe got knocked off here somehow mm. the gm that we hired or whatever and they'll just shut it down they won't even try to fix it you know and so the same thing like Richard Branson I remember he bought his first airline um when he was successful and tried to turn it around I forgot which one before Virgin or whatever and he uh you know same thing the culture was just knocked off and it was like so hard to bring it back so for us like that's what's kind of excited about expanding for us as we open more stores is there's no more than 12 employees per store and so we can like really get the culture dialed in and it might take two three five years but then we can build locations that have sustainability for 20 to 30, you know? Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of, you know, the way we're thinking about it. Yeah. It's fat. I'm, I'm fascinated when, especially when you talked about the philosophical element and I like for what Cuomo and Foley talk about, because it sounds like you guys are, you're constantly verbalizing with your players. Like, like you said, how does it feel? Do you like this? Right. Because too often you go to a lesson, Hey, here's what you're doing wrong. And this is, you need to do. And you just get it hammered in your head the whole rest of the lesson. Right. I'm curious, like, I'm sure you guys, your coaches, like what if you guys learn from each other? Maybe your games have gotten better. Right. Cause your approach is all about getting to the core of more than just how good or bad the golf swing is 
what kind of person you are. What it's, I, I, I think that's fascinating. I, yeah, I, love to hear yeah, I mean, I'm the only one who hasn't gotten better working at UGP. That's for sure. So <laughs> Come like, on. I swear, I mean, look what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about golf, right? My life has changed. I got three kids and I'm like, right, right. I'm like the brains behind it. And, you know, so it's really, um, but yeah, every, I, think, I think every employee who worked at UGP has gotten better. Except for me. I'm not joking. Plus four, or plus five when I started it. And you know, I'm probably a four now, three or four, you know, and I scrap it around out there all injured. Yeah. So it's like, it's interesting, but definitely seeing them, they all work out together. They all go yep. play golf on the weekends together. Their girls get, you know, girls and guys get together. They have dinners together. They play game night together. I'm like, this is really awesome watching them, this culture that we've created. Culture, yeah. yeah. And they're all, they're all, they're all family. Um, and they describe each other that way. And that's been pretty awesome. I had one of my employees come to me, he goes like, Hey, it's like, you know, it's, it's, uh, he goes, you know, the new location in Santa Monica we built, he comes up to me, he goes, man, it's like, it's crazy. I feel super excited about this new location. It's like everybody who works here, all eight of us, the opening team, it's like we're all meant to be together. I'm like, mm -hmm. yeah, dude, we've been doing this for eight years. We placed all of you together. Like we psychologically profiled each one of you and, <laughs> and like put you in a group together that would get along and would succeed together. Like a GM of, an, of a professional team, you know, like the GM of the Bulls or whatever, right? You know, that yeah. who watched the last dance, he put those guys together. As oh, yeah. much as he got all that flack, he put those dudes together. Yeah. Um, that's why they, they kind of hate him, but they kind of love him, you know? So, right. old um, Jerry. Yeah, old Jerry, man. So, <laughs> you know, so he put them all together. So that's, that's kind of, that's kind of, yeah, exactly. And that's kind of been the advantage for us too. We really look, we've had, we've gone through 110 employees to have the 40 we have. And so we know by now a little bit of what works and what doesn't work and what you can force and what you can't. Um, but as far as like how we impact each other and where that philosophy comes of like, you know, taking, you know, list, taking an inventory of what a player thinks that comes from me in a lot of ways, because I went to sure. IMG, I went to Ledbetter Academy when I was 15 and I was there with like Ty Tryon and Paula yep. Creamer and Julieta Granada and Casey Wittenberg got 10th of the masters as an amateur. Oh, yeah. These were all my friends there, you know? And so I went there and they said, you're going to have to swing this way. You're going to have to do this, you know? And so it made me like literally fall out of love with the process of improvement for myself. But then I always had the love of the game. So that's kind of why for me, my game has huh. faded more and more in time because I haven't really had the time. I'm more invested in my six-year-old son who's going to, you know, was on his way. He's a really good little player. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's just like it, you can really kill someone's love for the game if you aren't careful. And I had a certain like, I had built a West Texas way of playing golf and I loved playing and I loved, I could shape the ball any way I wanted. And then they're like, Hey, in order for you to hit high floaters all day long and not have the ball move, this is the way you got to swing. And I'm like, I look back on, I'm like, if they would have done that to Lee Trevino, it would have never existed. And he's one of the, he's right. considered maybe the best ball striker of all time. Yep. You know, they say Ben Hogan, but Ben Hogan said Lee Trevino hit it better than him. Right. So oh, Norman, and, you know, and he hit it low. Yeah. <laughs> so, so really it's not, so I think in a lot of ways, you know, I think Rick Sessinghouse said this. He's, he's been calling more college coach since he was eight. He's our director of mental coaching. And he said, you know, the, the cool. most important thing to do with elite players as they're developing and juniors and things like that is not mess them up. That's your number one responsibility. It's not to get them better. It's to not mess them up. It's to get out of their way and, and continue to help them go down condu conduits of improvement versus actually like trying to say if you do these steps because progression in golf is not linear. So really you want to have people going through channels of improvement versus actually steps, you know? And so, yeah, I think in a lot of ways, the philosophy comes from not wanting to mess players up. And if you can take that with an average amateur um, and you can make it fun, uh, but yeah, of course you have to have some structure, but you want them to be motivated when they leave the lesson to like, I'm going to go put in eight hours, you know? And that's yeah. really not going to be through step, you know, linear, linear basic uh, improvement. It's going to be through actually like finding finding goals that you're trying to reach and then get a convoluted way of getting there, just like anything else. And it's funny too, because psychologically, the second you start seeing little wins, you start seeing a little progress, then your confidence comes, then you, you build momentum, you want to do it more and more, right? And I feel like in golf instruction, a lot of times it's the exact opposite. It's we know we're going to get worse. We're told we're going to get worse. It's a year plus down the line of playing just terrible golf. And then your confidence is in the shitter, right? Yeah, hundred percent. And actually, that's you bring back the Chris Como podcast is going to be great when it comes out because we talk a lot about these things. And he talked about risk analysis in swing improvement. So, you know, Leo's really big. My uh, director of performance, our you know main operator of the of the company, he his, you know his he's big on the research around external focus, right? And so 
external focus is like, you know, see the object perform, right? Like you want to hit, you want to hit a draw. You're not going to think about putting your right foot back and doing all this, closing your, closing your club face. You're just like, you're seeing a tree in front of you and you got to hook it around it. So it's like, that's really kind of, that's external focus in a nutshell, essentially. Like, how do I, I want to hit a cut. All right, cool. I'm going to, I'm going to visualize things. I'm going to work really hard on visualization, really hard on, you know, creating sort of intermediary objects to go around and things like that. And that can lead to swing improvement. But Chris says that has, you know, essentially its limitations, which I agree. And so when you get an internal focus can really make performance enhancements and improvement, but it's hard and it's complicated. And most, most of the time people don't have the, the persistence and they fail. It's kind of like having surgery and then not doing the rehab afterwards, right? So, and then you're back to square one, if not worse than when you started. And so, you know, rehab after surgery is really intense. And yeah. most people are like, I just got surgery. I should be fine. No, it's actually the rehab that's the most important part and the prehab. So the same thing in a swing improvement, internal, internally focused swing improvement. It's like, hey, like, it's good you know the concept. But now you're going down the rabbit hole. You're going to have to climb out of this thing. And you're going to have to also retain and, and, and build in that new movement, retain it, and then apply it. And that's really difficult versus saying like, hey, you slice the wall. Let's just keep working on hooking it around a tree. And then that becomes like, oh, shit, I don't, you know, now every time I hit a shot, I'm thinking about hooking around a tree. And yeah, it might not get as technically sound, you know, of, of improvement, but it builds the real golfers. It build, builds real players. And so, yeah, and if you're trying to go play college golf, professional golf, you might have to get internally focused at a certain point. But think about how complicated that is if you're thinking about Lee Trevino, you know, so really, it's really going to be like your job is to be, I'd like to using external focus as much as I can until I hit plateaus. And then we have a discussion whether or not we want to go down that road. And I think a lot of times students don't even get that privilege. They're like, go see an instructor. They're novice. They don't understand the situation. And they're being forced down a road that they don't even know why or what. Mac, how do you get your players to really understand the importance of grip stance and alignment? And I ask because, you know, I played, I grew grew up playing like you. I played at Missouri State. I was a sub-average Division I player. Nobody after. Still like to play. But when you don't practice... Those three things are always off, you know, and you see the pros hammering that every time they're on the range. And when they don't play well, it's usually, you know, or something mental, like, because you're teaching indoors, you're teaching in a simulator, then your guys got to go out and play. Like, how do you talk to your players like, and say, this is so important. This is so important. You cannot, don't get obsessed with your backswing or your takeaway, you know. So I'm curious. Yeah, I mean, you know, like you know, as being a better player yourself, and you know, even though you're, you know, you played Division One golf, so you, I can tell you're Midwest and modest. But you're a great player, so it's, but it's really. No, <laughs> that's all. I was, I was never a plus four, or plus five. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wasted it though, so it's all good. <laughs> Play good practice rounds. Um, but yeah, it's it's really kind of you know in a lot of ways like yeah you know that is, is a better player. It's really you know it always if you're you know they play bad yeah it's mostly mental, but if they hit it bad. Yeah, it's mostly posture, grip, and alignment. It's not grip. It's mostly alignment. Yeah. Um, you know, on tour. They get misaligned when they're putting totally. or whatever, and it changes yeah. their swing, changes the way the putter head's swinging or the, you know, whatever, and the way they're visualizing shots, and they got to go realign themselves, recalibrate that system. But that's just a small tweak at that level. Um, with, the, with the players we're dealing with, again, for the most part, you know, we do have some single digits. We have scratch golfers. We got, we, I think we have the club champion of every club in L.A. pretty much. That's pretty cool. So we have like LACC club champ, Riv, Bel Air. I mean, all the club champs of all the clubs come to UGP, which is pretty sweet. Um, cool. most, mostly for the fitness and the physical therapy side. But, um, but they're all, you know, it's, it's a cool experience in that way. But in, re- in, re- in reality, when you're trying to train golfers on posture, grip, and alignment, in a controlled environment, you can get a lot done. You know, because if they're outside, you know, they're just trying to hit that target. Sometimes you can actually build in those fundamentals through block practice, which is repeat, 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 repeat. By just saying, hey, like, you're always lined up way open. We're going to hit 100 shots way closed, right? And then now I'm going to take you back to open. I'm going to have you hit 20 shots way open again. And then I'm going to start bringing it in and bringing it in. And, again, that's building awareness. And you can do that really yeah. easily in a controlled – you don't need track man. I mean, our bays are $150,000 bays. We need a net to do that. It's just it, – I'm entertaining people, right? So it's not about just, like – because it, it could be a net, white walls. We're going to get it done. The reason I have artwork on the walls, good lighting, track mans, Kevlar screens, like all this stuff is for entertainment. It's to make the learning process experiential, not just, you know, you know, not just procedural. And so, yeah, so in a lot of ways, I just, you know, I think that, you know, getting, you know, getting the fundamentals drilled in. um, Yeah, it's, it's crucial, but we just try to embed that into an experiential learning experience. Right. Totally. 
Let's talk about fitness for a second. You you started talking about it a bit um, with those club champs coming in. And, you know, me personally, for context, I'm a huge TRX person. My three things I do are TRX, yoga, and jump rope. And that's kind of my fitness. And I've noticed over the years that obviously at UGP, for sure, there's TRXs hanging down. But a lot of pro golfers are religiously on TRX. For those listeners that don't know what TRX is or haven't used TRX, why do you think TRX is so popular among golfers? And what is your experience with how helpful, why TRX is so helpful? Uh, I mean, pretty simple. I mean, it's, people have been doing TRX style workouts for like hundreds of years, really. Yeah. I mean, it's like a TRX is just, it's a brand, right? You know, it was a military, uh, you know, former military guy, you know, built this thing up and just great branding and great marketing. And um, you know, built a good business, right? So, but things of like like that have come around for a long time. But if you go back to like even, you know, to Scotland, you know, and the games being invented, and these guys, these sheep herders, are like playing the game. They were like decompressing their spines. They were hanging from stuff. They were like stretching out. They were doing TRX style workouts. Like back then, those guys were strong as like hands were so strong. They're farmers, you know, like super strong hands, amazing grip strength, which is so big. Actually, that's like one of the biggest components of club head speed is grip strength so if you have like think about a, like a wrangler in texas like you you teach them technique you don't think that they can get a whip to move fast right that club is not it's not a board it's a whip right i think bends so if you can like lasso somebody lasso you know a cattle you know being able to get your wrist to move fast and hit a club right. is huge so really kind of like you know, you look at, I love looking at the golfers, you know, from Scotland back, back in the day. And you just look at their body types and they were like, they were shorter. They were like super big feet. They were like stable. They had like really amazing like trunks and, and then they had strong hands, you know, and their arms weren't big. They were pretty like thin, you know, but they had massive forearms. Right. So it's like, kind of think about anatomically, right? Like a thin, you know, thin up at the top, and then being able to have these forearms that could like control the speed and slow things down at the end, um, you know, and they were swinging much more difficult equipment to swing than we are today. So, yeah. I, you know, you know, I, I, as far as fitness goes, again, it's, it's not, we're getting them as prepared for a golf movement as, movement as possible. Now in that process, yeah, we're in the city. We're like helping them lose weight. We're helping them, you know, have vanity, you know, all the different things too that come with it because it's a lifestyle. It's an educational experience sure. again. But it's really kind of like really getting them prepared for golf. And I think a lot of people like don't understand what that is. They, they think all oh, fitness, like what is that? No, it's like a specific thing. It's like I look at like, you know, again, like I look at ranchers and, and baseball players and they and immediately hockey players immediately come in and they swing at it pretty good. Now then we can get into the tech, technical side and get into improving skill. But, you know, that's, that's kind of at the end of the day you can see. It. You can see the guys and you know, the majority of our customers too, again, they, they haven't done sports in, since they were 10, you know, other than golf. Right. And so you're like, hey, like I was a little league player and stuff, but they're really not prepared for golf movement. Mm-hmm. So then we get into like, all right, let's, let's help you become an athlete again. Um, let's help. And that's a really, really fun process. And that's probably it's one of the sides I love the most is seeing people that were like broken and like not active completely transform their lives through one golf. They thought it was going to be a golf lesson and they've done 86 sessions and they've like changed their entire life. Right. And so the, the fitness side is, is definitely some of the most heartfelt stories of our mm-hmm. customers that I've seen. But again, the, the philosophy goes back to very simple and, and being able to build core stability, you know, be able to like have mobile ankles, be able to have like, you know, mobile T-spine, be able to have strong grip, you know, and, and, and if you can do those things, like, yeah, pull-ups are great. Like, you know, you know, rowing is good. Um, you know, anything with a med ball is really good. Sprinting is great. Being able to just get off to speed. Like, it's very simple. Um, but again, it's same thing as golf improvement. I always looked at this stuff as pretty simple. It's just, it's, 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 um, you know, it's, uh, it's very tedious. So it's simple. It's tedious. Like foam rolling is tedious. Like stretching out and doing open books is tedious. So majority of people don't do it. Mm -hmm. So what, what we do is make it fun and, and experiential to do tedious things. Well, Nick, you kind of start talking about the foam roll. We talk about injury prevention, right? And you guys are really huge on this, right? Looking at your individual, dissecting them. I think I watched one of your videos. Like, 
we got to protect ourselves and we're going to protect you, right? So you got to understand all of that. I, I think for our listeners and somebody who is maybe on the fence of coming in, I think that injury prevention is just so crucial. And the way you guys kind of like holistically build that program, right? I mean, I, I think that's got to be such a strong pitch. Like you come in, like you got to know what you're doing that's potentially putting yourself at risk. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, so mm-hmm. talk a little bit about that or some of those experiences with, with players. Yeah. I think, you know, it's, um, it's, it's, it's clear. I mean, that's obviously one of the easiest selling tools, right? When someone comes yeah. in, you're like, Hey, you're going to hurt yourself. If you keep swinging like this. Um, and they're like, okay, well, what do you mean? You know, so you have to be conscientious about how you explain that yeah. and, and, and ethical about it. But, you know, at the same time, like, you know, we'll get into everything. Like you can hurt yourself on the golf course just because you didn't sleep well, you know? So, um, you know, we, we get into like sleeping patterns a lot with our clients, especially because they're stressed in LA and, you know, high paced lives and, you know, um, and so we get into like sleep management, we get into nutrition, um, we get into injury prevention for sure. And at the end of the day, it's like, yeah, if you can, if you can have, if you can do a deep squat, I think most people in, in the Western world like can't really deep squat. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like being able, you know, you, it's kind of built in in the Eastern world, like, you know, that they're constantly in these positions that promote longevity. And so in the Western world, we're constantly in positions that promote early death, um, you know, in our car and in our chairs. Sitting over like. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's very clear. It's not, it's not even up for debate, you know, like being like, you know, most people die getting up the pot you know they get up they like oh, and then they have a stroke because they're overweight you know so really kind of the idea of being able to get people to do deep squats being able to lift their arms over their head um you know especially when you get into the older populations and you're like and you're doing that so they can hit the golf ball better but you're really adding like five to ten years to their life so at the end of the day i'm like i'm saving them for medical appointments and all kinds of things and i think that our customers really understand that and that's why they're like, man, this should be double the price, you know, for what you guys are providing the community, totally. the experience and what it does for my longevity. And so, yeah, that, that's what feels really good about it. You know, and that's my mom doesn't like golf, but she knows I'm doing that. So she's like, you're doing something of value. You're helping people. <laughs> it's true. She's like, I don't care. You had to call Mark. I don't even know who that is. So what is that? I'm like, oh, mom, he's going to be number one in the world. You know, Did she's you like, see I don't hit on 60. <laughs> Unbelievable. No, she's like, I don't care. <laughs> I think so she went back. to one of my, one of my golf tournaments <laughs> and like was reading Vanity Fair and like screamed in my backswing. So last time she was invited. <laughs> so I know you've told this in, um, you know, on UGP Instagram and, and other places. But for those people that haven't seen it and haven't heard it, I feel like you've got to tell the story of how you started. Um, mm-hmm. And because to me, you know, as a business owner myself, I'm always fascinated by what's the moment that puts you over the edge, right? What's the moment where you said, I've got to do this and I'm going to take that leap? And how did you start? And how do you know Blake, you know, the founder of Tom's Shoes and how did you guys get together and, and why, why UGP? Yeah. I mean, to hear it. yeah, told it a few times now. Um, <laughs> uh, as far as Blake, it was his birthday yesterday. So happy birthday to Blake. He turned 44 yesterday. Um, he's an awesome guy. Um, truly like a brother to me, which is just so weird at sometimes like he sent me a message. I sent him a message of like the new staff we're training this week. We started on Monday. And some of the things that he taught me about interpersonal communication that we've integrated into the training. And I sent him the picture of, you know, this new class going through it. And, you know, he sends me a message like saying, I love you, man. Like, so proud of you. This has been like, you know, you're one of the biggest blessings of my life. Today is my birthday. You know, and I think I reflect on these last three years with you. And I'm just like, this isn't an investor, you know, like they're not talking about like return, you know, it's like, we're talking about like love, compassion, growth. And that's, what's great about being good at business. Like we're, we have a good business and we run it well. So we can like have the privilege to like talk like that, you know? And I, and I, I really, I don't take that for granted. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and so we mostly talk about how our families are doing and how we're feeling and things like that. Um, because the data speaks for itself. So we just share, you know, we share the numbers with him and the numbers are good. And if they're not, we have very simple conversations about what can make them better. We know our KPIs, we know our critical drivers, we know, you know, what makes the business tick and what need, and we know where to pull levers. And so I think when you run a good business, you don't spend so much time on your emotions about numbers, you know, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs and small business owners, they don't have a good grip on their numbers. And so they get emotional about the business and finances and stuff like that. For us, we just kind of run it and, and run our schemes and keep kind of evolving and pivoting as we go. 
so that we can spend more time actually getting to know each other and you know and actually experience each other as business partners as friends and everything else and so again that's a lot from him you know without him i don't think i would have it like that it was very emotional those first four years so that's probably the biggest thing he's impacted me on since he invested and became my partner was just affecting the way that i looked at business and being able to separate it um you know and also integrate it it's not separate it's part of your life it is who you are in so many ways so you know that whole process has been very helpful in that way and so it's a little bit on mine and his relationship but the way that UGP started you know I was I was like 26 I think when I started it 25 26 and you know I, I had I played college golf in Boulder I bounced around I like you know this kind of crazy experience with golf where I never really sort of was solidified in a, on a team. And so for me, like, uh, and I was always kind of leaving golf and coming back. And so, um, I was pre-med in, in college. And then I got into medical school and I was going to go, going to go to medical school in Guadalajara. And I decided like last second, I wasn't going to do that. And I was going to go play like the mini tours in Southern California and Arizona. And my dad like disowned me, <laughs> like, you know, like all this, you know, they were like, you're an idiot. And I, I knew I wasn't going to make a run. I like averaged around one under par on the Golden State Tour. And you, I lost like 20 grand in a few months. And, right. But really, like, really, really, it was more like, it was more that I just wanted to like, keep playing and be part of the game. I didn't understand why. And so when I came out to Southern California, that was really kind of what it was about. And, um, and so I quickly like got myself in, you know, $20,000, $30,000 in debt. Um, you know, my car was like breaking down. I literally was like pushing it back and forth across the street for sweet street sweeping in LA. Um, and, it's a good, uh, it's a good city story right there. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I got this Land Rover, those Land Rovers are pieces of shit, but <laughs> pushing that thing back and forth across the street. It looked cool though, man. I had a little rack on it for my surfboard. Oh yeah. Um, but, uh, but it was useless. Um, and so I was moving it back and forth across the street and, you know, kind of this whole thing. And so uh, I met my future wife and we were like, hey, let's like, you know, and it was also like, you know, 2009, like there was no jobs. So you couldn't get a job anywhere in golf. Like I applied to like a hundred different places. And so I was like, hey, let's like go to Austin. And I'm from Texas. I have a bunch of friends there. My friends are killing it. Austin's blowing up. It's like one of the good economies in the U.S. at that time. And I was like, let's go there and I'll figure it out. And we'll like kind of get into it. And I'll go work for a club. And and then we went there and, you know, quickly I was like, you know, working three jobs. I made $24,000 a year running a driving range in Austin. I had six employees. I think it was illegal how he was paying me and how much he made me work. And then I was also like, I got to keep my lesson revenue, but it was hard with managing all those employees. And then I also had two other jobs at Austin Golf Club in Barton Creek. And so I was like working 100 hours a week. She gets she, pregnant. Wow. She gets pregnant and we have one car. An old, we had like the Tupac 90, 1996, like 528i. The Land, Rover, the, Land, the Land Rover is gone. I mean, in high school, in high, my, my junior year in high school, my dad bought me a 2003 Tahoe Z71 lifted $65,000, $70,000 truck. And I'm like 25, 26 with a pregnant wife driving around a 97, 528i. What happened? <laughs> I had so much promise. Um, but, uh, you know, so it was just such a crazy deal. Like, you know, the life experience that I got from that moment. And I never really had, I was... I was kind of airy and I never really could concretely define myself in any way. And so that forced me to, I was like, my dad told me, he goes, cause I'm like, shit. And when she got pregnant, I'm like, man, I should go get my MBA. I'll go back to LA. I'll get Anderson school of management. I'll do this. I'll do that. And my dad's like, no dude, like you might have, or he told me so condescending. He's like, you might have a set of, you know, spoons instead of like a fork and knife and a spoon, but you're gonna have to figure out how to work with that. Like you don't have a drill, you don't have a bulldozer, your tools are spoons. And I'm like, I have more than spoons, asshole. Like, you know, and he was just digging at me. Right. And so, and so then from there on, I was like, well, what are my spoons? I played, I was a good golfer. I'm a good salesman. I'm a good conversationalist. I know how to like charm people. I know enough about science. I've been injured. I've had all these surgeries. I know the medical background. My dad's a doctor. My mom's an artist. I've seen restaurant. I know the restaurant experience. I know the five-star world. I've been to all the nicest hotels in the country. I've flown first class. Like I understand this world, but I'm I'm hungry and I'm greedy and I have nothing and I'm on welfare and I'm working hundred hours a week and I have a pregnant wife. Right. So it's like, what can I do? And that's when I started really kind of buckling down and saying, I can make this vision a reality. And luckily for me, I was, you know, able to be a dreamer as a kid. So I could see a really, really broad, big vision. Right. Yeah, and so totally. I just, and then, but then I was forced to take every little baby step to get there. And so we, you know, we left Austin when my daughter was three months, she was born there. And then we came back to LA and then, you know, I worked at a couple different places in golf and I did it for about a year. 
I made maybe 45 grand, I think 43 or $45,000 working, you know, 70 hours a week teaching golf. And, um, you know, and I brought in, I don't know, $600,000 to the company I was working for. It was the number one performer in the history of the company. And I was like, and I never got talked to by anybody in management. Like nobody ever came and said, how are you? Who are you? What are you? Right. Why, why are you? They just, just said, there's this, it in. yeah, there's this kid in Santa Monica that's bringing in so much money and that never was praised. I was actually like more like getting backstabbed and being like, you know, people were saying he's doing it the wrong way and whatever. So, mm. um, I quit and I'm going to start my own company. And then I get a call from, you know, the management of that company at the very, very top. And they're like, Hey, you know, we heard, we heard you're leaving. And literally the day of the end of my two weeks, and I even, you know, sold packages all those two weeks and helped the company, took my manager out for beers and thanked him for the time. Like I did everything like a pro. And then they said, Hey, you know, like, uh, he calls me the day I'm like my last day. I'm literally having a sushi lunch by myself celebrating my last day there. And he calls me and he goes, Hey, uh, you know, um, you know, we heard you leaving and, you know, sorry. And sorry, we haven't, this is, this call is considerably late, but we want to offer you to stay. We want to give you $10,000 up front. And then we want to give you, you know, $20,000 raise on the spot. And I'm like, that's great. But like, literally, like, it's like way late. And I was like, it wasn't about money. Like it was, I would have worked, done something else if it was about money. Um, I asked to help you guys with fitness. I asked to help you guys with, you know, everything that could improve this company. And I wasn't ever given the, you know, the light of day. And, um, and so, so that's kind of, that was kind of that. And then sort of like, you know, I never really intended to start. I was like, I'm going to start a company when I'm 35, right? Sure. I'm going to put in 10 years in the workforce. I'm going to learn everything I can. But because of that experience and seeing how, how you know, rudimentary their process was and what they were offering and, and everything else and how many customers were available, I'm like, I was sort of forced into, you know, premature business uh, venture, right? And, and sort of, I saw a little window. My dad was like, hey, I'll give you 50 grand. I showed him business plans. I wanted $750,000 to start UGP. And he goes, I'll give you 50. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> and how do I do this? And so I, uh, I met this mom and pop shop. They had a thousand square feet golf fitness studio. It'd been working for five, six years. And they offered me 300 square feet in the corner of their gym. And it was a thousand square foot gym. And I bought a simulator for like $47,000. Um, I, you know, use the other three grand to like pay for legal fees and articles of incorporate, you know, do the whole thing, get the LLC sure. started. And I started with $0 in operating capital in the corner of the space in the Bay, I, a beautiful five, you know, five-star Bay, you know, with force plates and cameras and all that different stuff. And then I just, um, I had, like I said, zero, they said you can pay the sublease 1500 bucks a month at the end of the month. And I was like hoping to bring in eight grand in my first month. And I brought in like a hundred thousand dollars in my first 45 days. And so I was like eating my lunch in the bathroom, doing 60, 65 sessions a week. And it was just blown up. Like my philosophy, the journey I was on, it was very attractive to the customers. I would literally have someone in for an assessment, sell them a $5,000 package of sessions. They'd send five people, you know? And so it was just like so fast, you know, they could feel the sentiment. They could feel the honesty. They could feel the the work ethic. And it was just like, you've got to go see this guy before he fills up. And LA's like that. Good restaurants gonna fill out the door, right? So I just I just crushed it in my first, you know, couple months, hired my first employee three months in. And then, you know, the rest is history. I just built it, you know, I think um nine months into when I first started in that little space, I leased my own space. Um, and it was a beat up, like old, like I mean it's the only per- I had no credit, I had no money, I just had a little bit of operating capital and I had nine months of business experience. And so I got some old man to lease me this shitty beat up building on Sepulveda literally hadn't ever occupied anything like retail. It was like a storage unit. And I turned it into this space. And like, literally, we had no parking lot, we had to valet park all of our clients. We had to, you know, that's why we started carrying bags from the lot because we had, you know, so many things were out of necessity that became like the way we do things. And now that we have bounty, right, as a business, we still do those things that are gritty and that are hardworking. That, that made you great. Yeah, exactly. And we so people, cool. sometimes people are like, whoa, we don't want to do that. I'm like, like, here, let me tell you a story. And they're like, oh, shit. You know, and they start crying. And I'm like, yeah, dude, like. Just shut up. And listen. Yeah, shut up. You have no idea how nice this is, you know. Yeah. And so, so, yeah, so we just, you know, we just kept plugging away. And literally, like, every dollar I made just went back into the business, back into the business. I mean, I'd have, like, dollars days and we're living in like an apartment that's 1200 bucks a month with me and my My wife's like you're making money I'm like it's going back in it'll eventually and it just kept going back in and going back in and going back in and it just got better and better every like 
we'd sell a package, we'd put a new lighting fixture. We'd sell a package, we'd paint walls a little bit better. We'd sell a package, we'd put furniture in. And we just kept on reinvesting in the experience. And that became also, yeah. Part, also, yeah, also became part of our culture. And so, mm-hmm. and then about like four years, five years into the business, we have like 25 employees. It's, it's like, it's got a great reputation. We're already tra- training the men's UCLA golf team. We've got like all this credibility by then that was built from nothing. I mean, I was hiring people off Craigslist, paying them a minimum wage and having them teach $150 lessons. So it's oh, like yeah. now, now the, now the margins aren't that great, but <laughs> I've got to hire a lot better now and the standards are yeah. a lot higher, but, but you know, um, Blake comes in as Blake comes in as a customer for a putter fitting before he plays in that AT&T tournament every year. And, um, you know, he got a Nidell putter and got fit for it and loved the place. And he was like, what else do you guys do? And, and then the process took over. He got into physical yeah. therapy got into fitness, he got into coaching. And he was, he's like, this is where I'm going to prepare for the AT&T. And he did it for two months. I never met him for those first two months. But I was a huge fan of his, you know, I read, I, you know, I knew his, knew his brother in college. He's 10 years older than me. So uh, Blake is, but I know his brother Tyler from college, and which was super small world kind of stuff. But I had read his book, like start something that matters. And I was like, really into like that story starting in a, a, a like a billion dollar company out of your apartment in Venice, you know, selling shoes yeah. and helping helping people. Right. And so then the next thing you know, I'm like, you know, in the parking lot. And, you know, things are really stressful. Like, you know, I, I was having a falling out with my first, you know, first employee that was also one of my best friends. And I'm just like weathered every day. I'm like having a tough time at home too. Like I got two little kids at home. I'm working. My wife's like stressed out with me. And so I'm beat up. And I go to grab Blake's clubs out of his car. First time meeting him. And I knew he'd been coming in. I was monitoring his experience. But I hadn't actually personally met him. And I went to grab his bag out of this car. And I was like, hey, I'm Mac. He goes, oh, it's like so good to meet you. He's like, you know, you can tell that this place was hand painted. And like you can feel it and everything about this place. That it was all from the heart. And I was like, oh, that really means a lot. And he was like, I've been coming here for two months and I don't have a complaint. And also I see how, in, how awesome the business model is. You know, I've already spent like 10 grand or something. You know, he's like, this is crazy. And I don't feel like I, I don't feel like bad about it. You know, I feel grateful yeah. to spend 10 grand here. So he oh. goes, I know that's a good business. And so he goes, hey, would you ever want to come to Tom's headquarters and spend some time with my team and get some mentorship? And I was like, oh man, that'd be awesome. I've been literally like, yeah i've been like reading (laughs) ink and getting nothing out of it for the last five years and so (laughs) so, exactly um not practical uh so then i uh so then i went to tom's headquarters uh down in uh playa and i show up in his office and you know uh, it's exactly what we expect it's like out of a movie all the surfboards on the like do you guys do work here they got a slide going down the you know and so I go into his office, we sit down and I'm like, there's like eight people around the table. And I'm like, this looks like Shark Tank. This does not look like a mentorship session. Um, and then they're like all there and he's got his finance guy, he's got his legal that guy there. He's got, you know, his business manager there. And, and then he's got his feet up on the table, like, you know, like <laughs> ready to go on a surf trip. Um, and he goes, all right, cool. Like, you know, tell me your story. And for two hours, I just poured my heart out. Like I just told him yeah. everything that I'd gone through the last five years and pretty much my life actually. And uh, at the end of the talk, he goes, I like the way you think. There's something here. Why don't you guys like kind of like keep rapping on this? I got to go. I got to get to like Indonesia. I'm on a, going on a surf trip. He literally put a surfboard on his shoulder and a backpack and walked out the door. Oh, that's badass. <laughs> <laughs> and then he left me with these eight guys that were his, you know, his, his team, right? And they're not as friendly as him. And they just were like grilling me on everything that I told them in that two hours. And at the end of it, they go, cool. All right, well, we'll get back to you. And I'm like, what did I, what I did just you do? Mentorship. <laughs> what like, just what the, hell was, the hell was that? And then like literally like three days later, I get a call from his like main business manager. He goes, hey, Blake wants to do a deal. He wants to invest several million dollars and he wants to be your partner. And these are the loose terms. And I'm like, holy shit, what just happened? You know? Yeah. And, um, you know, and then, that, then, then it was on and there was six months of due diligence and audit yeah. and like really kind of getting a serious investor like not like a rich uncle this is like kind of like a combo of like a homie and also someone who's like a a real you know private equity guy right so so I learned a lot there and then from there it's been like I said again like three years of this journey and this evolution from there and uh, it's really affected us all and he's been like huge again like the first thing he had me do was go like he didn't make me do it but he suggested it was the Hoffman process in Napa and it was like a 10-day emotional experience that you go through you put your phone away and you like learn about your parents and how they affected you and how to become your authentic self and like i'm like dude i thought you would be sending me to like a 
business. I don't even have my MBA. Like, go, right, you know, yeah. it's like, no, it's not about that. Like, your right. job isn't that. You're going to have the finance guys. We're going to have the legal guys. You're the heart. You're the pulse. You need to learn how to become the heart and pulse the best way possible. That means you need to be the best person you can be. Man. I love that. Uh, you know, what a great, what a grind. But I, what the fulfillment in your voice, like, you know, especially as you look back on, because you finally figured out it was golf that kept pulling you towards something and then the concept and the greater vision. Yeah. I think it's, that, that's, it's great. Yeah. Thank you. It's super rare. I definitely reflect on it and look at what I have now. And, you know, my family that's been, yeah. you know, fam, you know, having a family of five too has been the hard work. So the business sure. actually looks pretty easy in comparison to like holding a family together and building it, you know, with another person. We're almost 10 years married. So it's like, it's been, you know, it's doing those two things simultaneously, but I look at it and I reflect on it and yeah, it's just been a lot of hard work and a lot of like commitment and a lot of mistakes, you know, you're, you know, you're, you're just, just fucking up all the time and right. constantly evaluating why and but your, bus- your business and your, your guys and your team are better for it. Right. I mean, it's just a hundred percent. No, I'm, I'm super great. I'm super grateful for it. So I know we're over time. I know we've gone for over an hour. The one thing I want to end on Mac is, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people, what everyone can learn from the story you just told is all of those struggles, all those moments where you were like, God, this is so frustrating. I, I feel like I'm a good golfer, but I'm not making it. I don't feel like I'm working here. Like all of those moments pushed you into where you are now. And you wouldn't like, if you were, if you made it right. And you started doing better as a player in those mini tours, you probably, you wouldn't be here. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's an important thing for people to remember because generally in life is that those things are meant to be the way they are to push you in a certain direction and it takes trust and it takes faith. But you know, when you look back the way your, your dad was with you, your experience as a kid, I mean, all of those things were meant to put you here, which is really inspiring. And I think it's something everybody can take away. Yeah, I mean, I, I one of my favorite books I've read um, in building this business was Shoe Dog, and oh yeah, you know, Phil Knight, you know, yeah, and yeah. he talks about you know like he was a good runner and he ran in college. He went to Oregon, right, and he ran for yeah. Bowerman and stuff, and but he wasn't great, you know. And I I I, re- I like look at Phil Knight and I like identify a lot with him. It's like you get it, you understand the depth of everything that's going on in this industry at the highest level, but you might not be the high performer, but you understand what's neat and also how to bridge this to the average consumer, which is what Nike did. You know, it's like, you know, he understood the elite level, the elite level, but he also was like thinking about consumers and he had a different mindset. And so for me, I identify with that story so much and how Bowerman affected him and Bowerman helped him design his first shoes to, I highly recommend it for any entrepreneur to read that book because it's just amazing. Like you talk about And then he's like, you know, he's at the, he's in Kobe, Japan, and that's where he first manufacturing was. And then he's got the river Jordan. And then he's like t- the, the tiger thing. And like all the names come in there, like, and he sees these premonitions and, and then he has these moments where it's like, and then the prefontaine, the famous runner dies. And it like doubled down on how motivated he was going to be to like help that company help Nike be successful. So it's like all this sadness and tragedy and like failure and like revelations and betrayal mm-hmm. and everything led to him wanting it more and reinvesting more and more into it. And I feel like I've had like a tiny taste of that so far. Yeah. Always looking for clues to yeah. pay attention to what's happening and who's talking to you and what you're seeing. Exactly. Brilliant. I love it. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on Mac. Um, yeah, really appreciate at it. urban golf performance on Instagram at Mac Todd life, I believe um, your personal account on Instagram and yes, sir. go check it out. Urbangolfperformance.com If you guys are ever in LA and hopefully I'm sure at some point we'll be in other cities and hopefully um, Chicago. It's coming. It's coming. Yeah, definitely. I love, I love it. Over there soon enough. All right. So. Well, be well, enjoy the move in the new area up North and be safe with the fires and everything. And um, anytime you're back down in LA, let me know. Yeah. I appreciate you guys. That was a really enjoyable talk. Thanks, yeah. Mac. Thanks, Mac. All right. You guys take, take it easy. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.